welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And our show is created on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumseh-Swetmik territory within the unceded traditional lands of Swetmikulu. And today's text, Camp, is set around Cleveland, Ohio, the traditional lands of the Kaskaskia, the Erie, and the Mississauga people. We're kind of making a guess on the territoriality of this text because it's not clear. But mm -hmm. it's definitely close to Cleveland. It's a driving distance from Cleveland. We try. <laughs> Camp Outland, where are you? <laughs> where are you, Camp Outland? Plus, I want to go to you. You seem fun. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so, folks, welcome back to Book Club. This is our Book, Book Club, Club episode. And we are talking about Lev C. Rosen's Camp, which is all about kids going to queer camp for the summer. And it seems delightful. It really does. So this book is the story of Randall Kappelhoff, who goes by <laughs> Randy, usually, but this summer, he's decided to be Dell. And the reason for his transformation from flamboyant, theater-loving, makeup-wearing Randy to sporty, blend-in-with-the-crowd, very masculine Dell, <laughs> is that he's trying to chase after the affections of Hudson who is uh, a mask-for-mask mask dude who goes yep. to the camp, who Randy has had a crush on for a really long time. And so the whole premise of the book is about Randy trying to figure out if reinventing himself in the mold of what Hudson seems to find attractive is going to work to catch the boy. And it mm -hmm. does for a bit. And then yeah. it doesn't. And then it does again. Mm-hmm. And there's a big musical number. It's <laughs> yeah, it's been interesting. I was aware of Rosen, as I mentioned at the end of last episode, because I read his previous book, Jack of Hearts. So I, I had the author on my radar, and I was excited by this one because I liked the idea of a queer camp, and I was excited to see what that entailed. And then mm. I read the premise of it, and I thought, oh, you know, I can see, and if you do... Uh, search for reviews of this book or interviews with Rosen. He's very candid about talking about his inspirations on Doris Day and Rock Hudson screwball comedies of the 50s. So this is very much a, oh, I'm appearing to the person that I love in disguise and hoping for the best. And of course, we'll have a falling out and then we'll get together in the end. So it's a very standard stock premise, but mm -hmm. particularly around queer text, there's an uncomfortableness about changing who you are because it's so hard to find out who you are in the first place. Yeah, and I will say that like the first couple of chapters, I was like, okay, I really love these characters. Mm -hmm. I love this setting. The adults in particular just have my whole heart. But right. I was really like, I don't like this premise. No, you're like, Randy, don't do this. <laughs> And of course, the book is very self-conscious about it, right? All of Randy's friends are like, this is not the way. Mm -hmm. This is not the right thing to do. You're approaching this, you know, from a really dangerous perspective. And, you know, part of the issue, I guess, like, is if you really want that premise to become undone, it doesn't really, right? Because, like, ultimately, the trick, quote unquote, does work, even with the bumps mm -hmm. along the way. 
But I think the text is so self-conscious about these questions of identity. Most importantly, and I think most hmm, like refreshingly from all the mm -hmm. YA we've read, Randy is surrounded by a supporting cast of queer yes. characters who yes. know exactly who they are, who are strong, who are funny, who are thoughtful, who are fallible, like they're real human beings. But like everybody knows that what Randy's doing is foolish. And because the whole world is taking that approach, you can kind of forgive the premise mm -hmm. a little bit, I think. Yeah, because usually you've got a confidant, a best friend or something that you're mm -hmm. confiding in, and then you're trying to fool everybody else. And you're absolutely right. One of my favorite things about this book is how everyone at camp knows exactly what's happening, except Hudson, because Hudson's a bit of a cute dum-dum. Mm -hmm. But everyone, everyone and their dog, the adults, the friends, casual acquaintances are telling <laughs> Randy, this is not the way to do it, you know, and, and they're not being belligerent about it. No. But they are saying, Randy, this isn't good for you. And ultimately, you can't possibly think this is going to succeed with Hudson. And it's not fair to Hudson. That's actually one of the lines, right. one of the through lines that I really like, is that basically, Randy is a performer, whether he's mm -hmm. performing on stage as Randy or performing in the camp as Dell, And he turns the entire camp into like, a ridiculous romantic comedy, at least it's mm -hmm. comedy from his perspective, but that yeah. places Hudson at the butt of the joke. You know, like, Randy is never being unkind, and you never are, mm -hmm. like, against Randy at any point in the book, but from Hudson's perspective, like, he says some horrible things that I'm not going to discount, and he Ooh, has some pretty boy. egregious views that I'm not yeah. going to discount. In addition to that, like, notice I'm not saying but, because I really don't want to discount those things, but in mm -hmm. addition to that, he has been basically, like, He's the center of a prank for a whole summer, you know, yeah. and he has been lied to. And Randy has this really strong, like, belief that as long as Hudson never asks him directly, like, are you Randy? And he mm -hmm. never says no, he's not actually lying to Hudson. But of course, the whole book is about how concealing your identity, especially a hard one, fraught, queer teen identity in rural America, which is what most of these kids are coming from. Yeah. Like, lying about that is lying mm -hmm. masquerading is lying and ultimately that's what hudson learns too right that like the things that he thinks are just his sexual preferences or just his wardrobe preferences are really like deeply steeped in heteronormativeness mm -hmm. and toxic masculinity and homophobia yep. and, 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 and maybe i'm getting ahead of myself joe no, no. I mean, really I think it, it's though. all good. If nothing else, <laughs> the conversation around this book is great because you can read it and enjoy the kind of, oh, I'm pulling a little bit of a duplicitous performance piece prank. But ultimately, it's young love and it's kind of fun and frothy and frivolous. But there's also so many underlying really interesting conversations. And I've got to say, I mean, as as a gay man reading this book and seeing the discussions about femme and mask and whether there is internalized homophobia within the queer community and how that is passed down generationally, like the things that we internalize from straight parents, well-meaning or not, has a mm -hmm. huge effect on who we are, how we treat sex, how we talk about it. And there's some really, really important relevant issues about queer sexuality coming out in this book and mm -hmm. i guess i i feel like i owe an apology to rosen because i did talk about how 
the sex scenes in Jack of Hearts made me feel uncomfortable as an adult Mm. reading a YA text, but I need to applaud his frankness about Mm -hmm. just saying, yes, this is what gay sex is. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's actually really important, particularly for teens who don't get the kind of sex education that our straight counterparts get. Yeah, absolutely. I was texting with you about it because I don't think the sex is at all graphic. First of all, it doesn't come till the end of the text. You're already really committed to the characters by the time Mm -hmm. you get to a sex scene. But there is pretty frank discussion like throughout um, Mm -hmm. as as everyone in the camp seems to be preparing Randy for (laughs) for losing his virginity. Mm -hmm. But it is, yeah, as I say, not graphic, but detailed, like yeah. super detailed in a way that as a, literally a suburban mom, I was like, <laughs> oh my. <laughs> oh, clutches my pearls. But I absolutely see the necessity for it, yes. right? Um, and there's a certain amount of equity, I guess, in allowing those conversations to happen in spaces that aren't exclusively heterosexual, right? And like, we've given a lot of stick to people like John Green for basically just panning away from the sex scene. Mm -hmm. When I think really like what Lev Rosen is doing is much more, I mean, if we think of YA books as instructive at a certain level of like how to move through the world, like this is necessary information, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it yeah. it reminds me of the conversations that we had when we were talking about Judy Bloom, either in Tiger mm. Eyes or Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, and how frequently her books get challenged in part because of their frank approach to sexuality. And those mm-hmm. books have nothing on what Rosen no. is doing here. Obviously, very different situations. Like, those are texts from the 70s and 80s. This is a book from, what, last year, two years ago? Yeah. But... It speaks volumes to me that, A, we have moved the dial this far in terms of YA literature. Like, this is the kind of book that you couldn't get published because it would just immediately be banned. Or your publisher would Mm say, "Mm, you're going to have to take out the stuff about the lube in the tent at the end of the book. Because that's not going to fly. Yeah. But here we are. Now, this is not to say, like, Rosen has actively said he receives a lot of hate mail from people saying Mm -hmm. that he is encouraging the sexualization of children and particularly the idea that like oh gay teens have to be sexually active they need to be thinking about sex perverted thoughts blah 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 the usual Mm -hmm. kind of garbage that gets leveraged at the queer community if i'm being honest Mm -hmm. and i love the fact that he doubles down on the idea that he has a responsibility to help educate queer youth because if he doesn't do it they have to turn to things like pornography and they end up Mm -hmm. with these idealized fantasy, very not realistic depictions of what sex looks like because you don't get it anywhere else. So I think if nothing else, it's really important and vital that these kinds of texts exist because they do have that function. In addition to being like, hey, you can also have your your queer youth fantasy and eat your cake too or eat your butt too, whatever. (laughs) that's exactly it right it's like there is a lot of sexuality or references to sex in the book the characters are for the most part sexually active and yet Mm -hmm. at the same time there's characters who 
live and experience and express and discuss aromanticism, asexuality, mm-hmm. demisexuality, like the joy of this being set at a queer camp, a yes. sex positive queer camp, is that we get to see all these different representations. Mm-hmm. And then the sex that we do see occurring, even when it's more casual, like with Hudson prior to um, his relationship with Dell, all the sex is consensual, mm-hmm. positive within the context of relationships, whether like emotionally fraught and, you know, committed or casual, but consensual and relational, right? So mm-hmm. I guess what, what I like about the book from that perspective is this range of approaches to sexuality, all of which are welcome and discussed and honored. And they even talk about things like there's an aromantic character, asexual character who gets treated badly by some of the kids at the camp because mm-hmm. they don't think that that's a queer identity, right? And so yep. I just think Rosen's really very willing to have complex and difficult conversations. Mm-hmm. He's willing to have a lot of conversations that aren't actually for a straight audience. Yes. The straight audience is clearly like welcome to be there and part of the discussion, but that's not who this book is for in a way that I think is extremely positive in terms of representation, right? Because we think about something like Love, Simon, as much as I adore it, and Love, Victor, as much as I adore it, and those texts are as much for 30-something moms as they are for queer teens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) to the point where I was actually going to message you to be like, do you need me to explain any of this? Because I think it's written clearly enough that it is accessible to straight audiences, but there's so much lingo being dropped about like Mm. dating apps and profiles and that kind of stuff. Like, I don't think it's hard, but I also think that if you are a queer reader or a queer audience, it's going to land that much clearer for you. Like it's going to make a lot more sense. Like, I, I'm not sure that straight audiences have an understanding of what it can be like to be looking and seeing, like, no fats, no femmes, no Asians, mm. and just the the kind of horrible siloing that people reinforce and talk about, like, the, the discussion about femmes and mass for mass is so prevalent in the queer community, specifically the, the gay male community, obviously, but... To me, that conversation felt really refreshing, particularly around teens, because there is this idea that you need to be straight passing, or you have to be Mm. the most flamboyant queenie femme with your pride colors and your flags and, you know, your theater tap shoes and all this kind of stuff. And the book really does a great job of breaking down that these are culturally created distinctions and that people should be as fluid as a lot of the characters in the book are where it's like it's a process of discovery the lines are liminal and you can move back and forth at will but no one should be reinforcing a strict division yeah i i there were definitely things i had to google like (laughs) mask for mask i figured it out but like Mm -hmm. i didn't know what it meant or more to the point i didn't understand the connotation and the larger sort of cultural story but luckily i follow enough very interesting queer writers on twitter that i mostly could put the pieces together there you go but i really loved it right i loved it in the same way i love it when we're reading a book by a latina author and Mm -hmm. she uses spanish freely and doesn't translate it for me right because that is 
allowing me the experience, frankly, of being outside. And like, again, as a white mom, I'm actually like the main reader of YA, hilariously enough, right? You were the default audience. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So much of YA is written for and marketed to me, especially I think sometimes the queer romances that become extremely popular. Mm -hmm. And so it's really good um, and I don't mean this as like an eat your vegetables kind of thing. I think it's a really <laughs> necessary. I think it's a really necessary readerly experience to be the outsider sometimes. Yeah. Because what's the what's the point mm-hmm. <laughs> in reading if you're only ever the intended audience, you know? And yeah. so like I like I really like having to Google stuff when I read. I also think that there's a charmingness in the fact that not all of the characters are kind of as clued in as someone like, oh my God, Randy's best friend's name, George, right? George? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Like not everybody is as clued in as George. And George often is sort of in the position of explaining to other people in the conversation what he and Randy are talking about. And that's really helpful too. It's like yeah. a little bit of a translation guide, whether it's to the other counselors some of them are sort of too removed from the scene or whether it's to some of the more innocent campers. Mm-hmm. Rosen is really careful to put those people in the situation who are organically there and part of the community and sympathetic to the conversation so that it doesn't have to be like an aggressive explanation, but you get filled in. Mm-hmm. I really appreciated the way that he approaches that. And we were talking before we started recording that if anything, the book is a little on the long side. Yeah. But I think some of that is why in sort of framing those uh explanations and the discussion of the culture in a way that isn't ham-fisted or tacked on we end up with a lot of kind of sprawling conversations just between the kids that a more directed narrative probably wouldn't need to have this is true yeah and with that we're willing to be a little bit more gracious with the length of the text Mm -hmm. yeah exactly exactly and also it's just it is a pleasure to read like i was sort of tapping my toe after the big reveal, mm-hmm. I felt like it dragged a tiny bit, but I just so enjoyed spending time with these characters that I really didn't mind. It would be like if Simon and the Homo Sapiens Agenda had like two extra chapters, I'd be like, mm, these aren't necessary, but mm-hmm. I like them. So yeah, it's I like fine. all these people, so it's it's kind of fine. Yeah, exactly. So, Brenna, we should probably acknowledge that we did ask people to write in with their responses to the book as well as their own personal camp stories. Yes. Sadly, we didn't get quite as many responses this month. Maybe everybody is like us, Joe, and never went to camp. Maybe. It's entirely possible. Every time I read one of these stories, I can't quite wrap my head around this idea that, like, starting at, like, what, 12, 11, you get Mm -hmm. to just be, like, running wild with kids for, like, a whole month? Two months? This is just a thing that kids are out there doing? I still can't wrap my head around it. And being supervised by 16 and 17 year olds who are not that much more mature for being realistic. No, not at all. Oh my God. Anyway. Okay. So we'll begin with Max's response to Camp, the book. And Max says uh, that they appreciated that it is unabashedly queer, but also that it doesn't focus on the harsh realities. Like there is the reality of what it's like. And I think specifically when it comes to Hudson and his relationship with his parents and how that is very different from Randy's experience with his parents, you know, that's mm. that's woven through and it's a really important part of the book. But the book doesn't belabor the point that being a queer teen is like 
a tragedy and it's all suffering all the time, mm-hmm. right? Like this is not a 90s mm-hmm. melodrama queer text. No, it's joyful. The whole yes. book is extremely <laughs> joyful. I got <laughs> <laughs> but Max did have an interesting point that the the discussion around toxic masculinity and mask for mask culture is effective, but Max wonders if a dual perspective between Randy and Hudson would have actually been more effective, in part because when we see the mask guy as the narrator of the story, it's usually about them discovering their queerness by interacting with another man as opposed to exploring their queerness through expression. So Max wonders whether that would have contributed a different kind of perspective to the narrative. So I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that. I did want to hear more of Hudson's interior world. The book doesn't give us that at all. Mm-mm. This is Randy slash Dell's story, and in many ways it has to be because so much of the story is wrapped up in Randy's self-justification for what he's doing, right? Yeah. Um, which is kind of necessary for the momentum of the plot. But I think Hudson's story is really interesting. Yeah. And something that we've talked about a lot is that we don't get a lot of what I would call complicated queer coming out stories. So we get a lot of the really positive ones, Simon and the Mm -hmm. Homo Sapiens Agenda. We get a lot of really bad ones next week. (laughs) Miseducation (laughs) of Cameron Post, be an example of that. Oh boy. What we don't get a lot of are probably what is closer to a majority experience. I would imagine just, I mean, I'm totally on the outside, but from conversations I've had about the sort of like, Mm -hmm. parents are human beings who fail a lot and you don't really realize until you're an adult just how much they struggled i think yeah hudson's mother calls him the f word and like it's a really horrifying scene and also she clearly loves him but doesn't Mm -hmm. know how to love a queer kid right yeah and it's more complicated than his father, who just it seems to be cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a level at which, like, his mom believes that she is, and she's wrong. Like, I'm not justifying her behavior in any no, way. No, but it's a realistic thing. Yeah, she believes she's protecting him from something by forcing him to be someone. Yeah. And I think that that story is probably really common. Like, that complicated tense push and pull between a parent's love and the weight of their expectations which everybody experiences to a greater or lesser degree but for queer kids that can be so damning and damaging yeah and i i think hudson's perspective is interesting because i don't even think he gets to a point where he really blames his parents or even feels a lot of anger towards his parents but i think he gets to a point where he realizes that his parents are doing him damage right yeah and i wanted more of that story because it's a complex and interesting one. And yet, I didn't want anything to take away from sort of the overarching joyful tone of the book. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a hard one. Yeah, it, it does remind me of the YA authors who have published subsequent novellas or kind of like condensed versions from other yeah. characters' perspectives. Like, I'm thinking Marjorie Blackman. I'm thinking of, you know, Cassandra Clare's and Stephanie Myers. Or Becky Albertalli, right? Every yeah, prequel yeah. story we've heard from every character now, I think, at this point. <laughs> yeah. And I, I will admit, I agree with Max that I do think that there would have been something to have been gained from getting Hudson's perspective, if only because I found so much of camp 
to be less about the farce of Dell's performance and more about Dell ultimately becomes responsible for educating and gently guiding Hudson kind of mm-hmm. not out of the closet because he's clearly already out, but out of a different kind of closet about what is considered acceptable and what being true to you is like gay doesn't mean certain things. It can mean all things. And one of the counselors actually says that, right? One of the counselors is like, your job is actually to be Hudson's boyfriend, not his camp counselor and not mm-hmm. his therapist. Like he needs help navigating these things and you need to recognize that it won't all, it can't all come from you. Like Hudson's got work to do actually yes. <laughs> um, that yes. can't be Dell's responsibility. And mm-hmm. Dell really, when he's Dell, really resists that idea, right? Because yeah. the entire fantasy for Randy slash Dell is based on the idea that the big reveal will be everything mm-hmm. yeah. and when it's not that's really complicated for him to navigate yeah yeah i will also say that we're gonna have a lot more to say on the subject of the harm that parents can do even if they do oh, yeah. love their queer children when we get to love victor season two because holy moly I haven't started it yet because you said I was going to want to binge it. And so I'm saving it. Oh my gosh, Brenna, <laughs> the restraint that I am exercising. Whew. But yeah, it is um, particularly in these first couple of episodes with Victor's mother, which is also an interesting piece because so often in these narratives, it's disapproving fathers yes. who want their sons to be masculine and to see mothers who are typically depicted as more affectionate and more nurturing being the ones struggling with it. It's upsetting and it's challenging and it's really good. It's really good. We're going to have a lot to say. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So let's maybe then transition into the more broad depiction of just camp. Yeah. So Max actually was very generous in detailing what their experience was like as both a camper as well as a counselor. And I thought it was really fun to get a sense of the gender norms and the kind of like desexualization, particularly within a Christian camp, which is what Max Mm -hmm. went to. And they said, oh, it's actually quite on par with A Week Away. So the the Christian musical that we discussed Mm -hmm. two months ago. And The thing that really bothered me was the idea that boys get blue color connotations and girls get red. And if they get too close together, the counselors would yell out purpling. And I just thought, oh, that is gross. Can we not? Please. It's so (laughs) gross. Oh, boy. But Max did say their experience was quite a bit more positive when they became a counselor because they had the choice of whether or not to turn off the performativity. And they found that by being more grounded and natural, it actually really lended itself to younger campers who wanted to then spend more time with them. So I found that part fascinating. Yeah, being true to yourself makes you more approachable and popular. (laughs) Well, yeah, and that Max felt that as a camper, there was an expectation of being on all the time mm-hmm. like i would have totally thought the reverse i would have thought that a counselor felt the need to be on all the time but it's interesting how this need to perform fun mm-hmm. like when i think about camp as an introverted kid who needed a lot of alone time like i yeah. would come home from school and i would basically like not talk to anybody for like an hour because i was so like yeah, overdone out. with people Mm-hmm. And I see that in my kiddo too. He comes home from school and he'll be like, I just need some alone time. And I'm like, you yes. know what? That's cool. He just like plays quietly with his Hot Wheels until he's ready to like re-enter society. Mm-hmm. So for me, I think of a, a sleepaway camp as like 
sort of the seventh circle of hell because it's like where do you go when you need a low time yeah what do you, do you go to the arts and crafts tent i've gathered it's like you just <laughs> quietly play with the glitter and the paper mache and all the other fun stuff that does not sound bad at all, actually. But yeah, right. so I was just fascinated by that dichotomy because you wouldn't think that campers felt the need to be on. And then I thought about it and I was like, oh man, actually, if I was in that situation, I would absolutely feel the need to be performing my fun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was one of the things that I ended up really enjoying about just the broad depiction of camp in Rosen's book. Mm-hmm just the variety of different kinds of activities that you could choose to partake in. Like, I'm not going to lie, doing the theater performance sounded like a lot of fun. A lot yeah. of work, to be honest. But yeah. <laughs> running the obstacle course, I was just like, ah, oh, this would be so much fun. And the idea that, you know, you would start it at the beginning of the summer and kind of suck at it. And then by the end of the mm-hmm. summer, you'd be swinging on that rope course and walking the tightrope and all sorts of fun stuff. It just sounded and very exciting. It's also really fun, I think, that Dell expects to sort of have a miserable time most of the time, but the reward is getting Hudson. Mm-hmm. And when Dell discovers that moving his body, learning these new skills is actually really fun, and also that a lot of the things he does in the theater translate well to the yes. kinds of skills he needs for the obstacle course. Like, I loved it's a it. really good coming together of the parts of his identity and it's also you know as he's recognizing that his sporty self and his theater self are actually the same guy Hudson is faced with this identity crisis which is Mm -hmm. that holy crap the theater kids can do the sports stuff so I'm nothing yes and oh that moment where he explodes Adele yeah where he gets so mad like you have taken something away from me by having your team win the obstacle course in the way that you look and are dressed and act Uh. because they dress up very campy Mm -hmm. (laughs) in a different kind of camp for the obstacle course and um Dell is actually wearing I believe a like a blue glitter jumpsuit when he kicks Hudson's ass Mm -hmm. it's so good because it's not just that Dell beat him it's that Dell beat him while being everything that Hudson thinks men shouldn't Shouldn't be be. yep 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 and amazingly even as i'm describing it i'm like i really need to underscore for the listeners who haven't read it yet it's actually not heavy-handed at all it's really well done Mm -hmm. rosen is very skilled because there is a lot of tropiness happening here so much but the characters are (laughs) constructed with so much honesty that honestly you don't even realize how tropey it is until you're on the other side of it i found Mm -hmm. yeah because even the broad inclusion of all of the different queer sexualities the counselors with a heart of gold who are there exactly when you need Mm. them but also have a firm Mm. hand you know the super supportive parents who come and are the first ones to stand at the end of the musical like it is stock trope city and yet it goes down so well and i do think that it's a testament to not just the construction of the narrative and the way it's laid out but i think it's a very clear understanding of what is it that i want people to take away from this book Mm -hmm. and how can i do it in such a way that it does adhere to those tropes but it also really instigates a lot of interesting conversation Mm -hmm. yeah i totally agree i totally agree Oh, it was a joy, Joe. I really enjoyed this. Thanks for programming it. Yeah, my pleasure. And Brenna, it turns out we did hear from a couple more people. Skirted in just under the wire. Yay, camp fans. Camp yeah. fans. 
<laughs> so we'll start with Jane, and they wrote in to talk specifically about the book because they were reading along with us. Nice. Jane says, I wasn't too sure about it at the start. I got the feeling that Randy's whole plan definitely couldn't end well, mm -hmm. and I guess I was a tiny bit reluctant to commit to sticking with Randy through it all because of that. Mm -hmm. Same, same, same. Same, 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 same. <laughs> Jane then proceeds to say, I'm really glad I did, though, because honestly, it was so tender, and the idea of camp itself is is so cool. My favorite part of the whole book is the fact that these kids get a whole month with mentors who are like them. It's absolutely wonderful to see queer kids with role models. Yeah, I agree. I had the exact same reaction. Like the premise really almost put me off the book. And I'm so glad that I didn't let it. Yeah, it, it sometimes feels like YA feels the need to really up the ante with preposterous plotting. So mm -hmm. I was happy to see that this ended up just being the impetus, but then we actually got some really good character development and some, you know, some loving arcs. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. It's it's worth sticking with it. So yeah, if you've heard us talking about the premise and you're like, oh, I hope we've also convinced you that it's worth it. Indeed, yeah. Or if you don't believe us, listen to Jane. <laughs> there we go, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we also heard from Tea Books and Chocolate on Yay. Twitter, and they shared their experiences. And they did put the caveat that this was a Jewish camp, so they didn't know whether or not it was reflective of traditional camp experiences. But that's cool, too. Mm -hmm. So they say, I did not have any camp romances. And Boo. it seemed like most of those happened with the counselors as opposed to the campers. <laughs> and... They do clarify, though, that all of the campers were obsessed with knowing who among the counselors were dating, to the point where they even said that they may have forced one of the counselors into a chair and shone a flashlight in their eye, kind of like <laughs> interrogation style. <laughs> I could totally see that, though. Do you remember having, like, student teachers when you were in, like, grade 7, 8, 9, and how, like, they're older than you, but not by a lot. And there's that, mm -hmm. that kind of like, I want to know everything about like what grown up world is like. And you're yes. like my spy on the inside. <laughs> yes. And, and you're so cool. And I kind of want to be you, but I also want to know all of your secrets. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> so they continue to say romances among their age group were limited because there was an extreme gender imbalance. So the summer before ninth or 10th grade, there were three girls to every guy. So they oh, all no. refused to date in solidarity because of the scarcity. <laughs> That's amazing. It's like Liz Estrada, but for camp. <laughs> yeah, I like the idea of all the girls saying, well, no, if, if all of us can't date, none of us should date. <laughs> So good. That is so good. And you know what? Having been in lots of spaces as a theater kid where boys were thin on the ground, not mm -hmm. a common outcome. Normally, it true. just becomes a feeding frenzy. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Their final contribution, I am being selective, so I apologize. This is not everything. But they do say that they have very fond memories of the scheming. Mm. And they would apparently find a different guy counselor every week and tell them that they were on their period so that they could avoid swimming and instead play truth or dare. Oh my god, that's amazing. <laughs> that sounds so like what my camp experience would have been. Like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah. We do get a lot of scheming in camp, so that part seems to hold up. Indeed, yes, but I think more low-stakes scheming. That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Jane and Tea Books and Chocolate, for your last-minute contributions. Happy that you got them in under the wire, and happy that we were able to include them. Yay, thanks so much. 
So can we do a YA bingo for book club? I know we don't always do it, but it feels like a good book for bingo. Yeah, let's give it a shot. Bingo! Not a good bingo. Okay, so I'm going to make an argument for Manic Pixie Dream Person. Okay. Yeah, because I think that Del, Randy, is trying to like force himself to be Hudson's <laughs> Manic Pixie Dream Person. I think so. And then so. that actually ends up kind of being what happens. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm picking that. Borrowed time, because obviously we only have two months or mm -hmm. one month. We have two two-week chunks of time, basically, right? Right. And also it's like a, a weird denial of the borrowed time because it's like, how do I get this extended so that Hudson doesn't lose interest in me after two weeks? <laughs> exactly. Good friendships. And so refreshing to see good queer friendships and other queer kids depicted not just as potential romances, but as friends so good yes we can also put in queer secondary character because it's basically what, all all queer <laughs> uh musicality for sure they're making a musical mm -hmm. perfect date for the yeah. for the hike that they take up the hill oh it's so cute it's so cute i think that's everything i've got uh, okay i'm gonna do an interesting one because it's a book and it's not an adaptation but i am gonna say inclusion flip because we so rarely see a person of color as a love interest or as like oh, a, a lead character. And I think there's a very, very deliberate construction of Hudson as a person who is half Korean and half... Ukrainian. Ukrainian. Thank you. Yeah. It's something, again, that if we got Hudson's point of view, I do think we could unpack it a little bit. But as we talked about in things like The Sun is Also a Star and other Nicola Yunin and other authors of color, the way that our parents reinforce traditional gender norms and expectations is very different from white people. Yeah, I hugely culturally dependent. And also just, you know, he talks about like the immigrant narrative on the side of his Ukrainian family as well, right? Briefly. And I think that there's yeah. a whole bunch of pressure on Hudson on both sides of his family to be a man. Mm -hmm. And those definitions might be different on each side, but they're present for sure. Right. Yeah. I was gonna say coincidental classes. Mm -hmm. Not that there's classes because it doesn't take place at school, but the stuff that's happening, like for example, the sort of identity play in the musical or the things that they work on in their craft tent or mm -hmm. the obstacle course in general, like these are obviously set pieces meant to forward the larger themes of the book. Absolutely. And I think even adding on to that would be the educational historical oh, right, classes right. that they receive from the camp leader, because yes. those are very much like, here's the history of our people. These people didn't adhere to what they were expected to do, and they were radical and they were political. And this is why it's so important to continue those traditions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, totally. Yeah. I feel like that's... It? Yeah, that's all I have. Yeah. Okay. Well, we almost got there. All we needed was for this book to be set in Canada or written by a Canadian and we would have gotten it. <laughs> oh, darn it. <laughs> Lab Rosen, hey, Rosen, why aren't you Canadian? Why aren't you Canadian? <laughs> okay. Well, that brings us to the end of another book club. So, Brenna, that means we get to announce what we're reading for July. 
Joe, I'm super excited. This is a book club pick that I have taught before, so I will try to not be like really insufferable with it, but I am very excited. Mm -hmm. <laughs> We're going to be reading Sherry Dimeline's The Marrow Thieves. Yes. It's indigenous. It's dystopian. It's YA. It's so good. It's post-apocalyptic. It's I know. It's, really it's like good. a bunch of things that are very in our wheelhouse, and yet we don't see this combination normally, and that's what excites me the most. And we've been kind of saving it because our understanding is was that there is an adaptation, was an adaptation forthcoming, but mm -hmm. um, we're tired of waiting. So tired we're going to do the book club instead. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get on with it. <laughs> Seriously seriously so that is our next book club go and pick it up it's great you absolutely won't regret spending time with it and yeah get ready to talk about that in a few weeks time mm -hmm. yeah absolutely as always people please remember that we would love to hear your responses as you're reading along with us so don't wait until the week before the episode drops uh no. if you're reading along let us know what you're thinking as you go please and in the meantime our text next week is going to pick up on a lot of these themes from camp, but oh, yeah. in a lot less joyful of a way, we are <laughs> reading and watching The Miseducation of Cameron Post by Emily Danforth next week. Joe, I just finished the book, utterly devastated, ready <laughs> to be broken by the film. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Super excited for that. Yeah. Um, and then as we teased in two weeks, we're coming up on Love, Victor. So the TV show, the entirety of the TV show drops on June 11th. So folks, prepare to binge and then get ready to listen to us. And we're going to have Terry Menard join us again. Uh, so if you haven't, you can go back and listen to our take on season one from last year. Oh, yay. So excited. I love being back in Becky Albertalli's world. Anytime I get the chance. So I'm looking forward to it. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's that. We're leaving camp behind and, you know, moving on to uh, a horrible school. And uh, <laughs> yay, <laughs> what a joyful transition. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, if you want to talk book club, if you want to talk anything else, you can find us on Twitter at HKHSPod or on the hashtag HKHSPod. And if you've got something longer, particularly as you start working your way through the Marrow Thieves, it's HKHSPod at gmail.com. Joe, if they want to just find you to tell you specifically about camp where do they find you <laughs> i can be reached at b stole my remote and that's the letter b and i'm at brenna c gray that's gray with an a and that is it for us joe i really genuinely this was fun i wasn't sure what to expect but i really liked it yeah i'm excited this is this is a good pride month we're getting a lot of different kinds of texts so i'm excited for this i'm uh Looking forward to heaviness next week, and then we'll cap it off with Love, Victor. Love, Victor. All right. Until next time, folks, I will see you on the page. And I will see you on the screen. Bye-bye.